I want to welcome you to our continuing series, The Three Wise Women of Christmas. We're so glad that you are part of it, and uh, we have had fun discovering the three wise women of Christmas. We have seen the wise woman from the hills, Elizabeth. We have seen the wise woman from the small city, Mary. Today we're going to discover the wise woman from the big city. And she may surprise you. She's the wise woman from not the big apple, but the big olive, Jerusalem. And she's going to tell us some things. She only appears once in Scripture. This is where she appears. Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 34. And she's a woman who is waiting for her Messiah. Uh, How long? Well, several years ago, the University of Harvard was celebrating its 250th anniversary. And so they were having all sorts of celebrations, and it culminated with a parade at night. And it was with torches and banners, and it was the the freshman class that capped it off the best. They walked carrying this banner saying, the university has been waiting 250 years for us! Wow. The university waiting 250 years for us. Well, this lady, when Jesus was born, could say, I've been waiting 100 years for Jesus. Her name is Anna. You'll find her story in Luke chapter 2. Whether you have a device or a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2, and you'll find her in the starting in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. I want you to see something. We're going to learn from the life of Anna. Anna was a woman who experienced tragedy, but we're going to see that she was gracious, not bitter. Now, she could have been bitter. She had every right to be bitter. Socially, she lived with her husband seven years. There's a lot to unpack in that phrase. You see, my friends, She lived with her husband seven years. Do you see what's missing in that phrase? There's no children mentioned. She was unable to have children. In that culture, that was shame. That culture would heap shame upon her as a woman. They would put her down as a woman because of that. And then her husband dies so we come personally and she was a widow until she was 84 now the way that phrases in the greek is not that she was a widow until she was 84 years of age she was a widow for 84 years that's a long time 
she was a widow for 84 years. Let's do a little math. And here's how the message puts it. She was now a very old woman. She had been married seven years and a widow for 84. So if she was married at age 14, we talked about in that culture, you could be married between ages 14 to 16. If she was at the younger age, 14, she'd be 105. If she was married at age 16, she would be about 107. Now remember, the average age of a woman at that time was 40. Most women died by the age 40. She is an extremely old woman. But why wouldn't she remarry? Ah, remember what I just said. She couldn't have children. Because she couldn't have children, no guy would date her. No guy would be betrothed to her. Because in that culture, they would put her aside and say she had no worth. She had no value. So this woman had a right to feel uh, bitter, discouraged. But she wasn't. Now if you Google Anna, you're going to get this picture over here. There's a problem with that picture. She doesn't look 107 to me. How about you? I think the one on the, the right looks a little more accurate. A woman who's faced life. A woman who has had both joys and sorrows. Whose face shows what it means to live. But what keeps her different? What makes the difference for Anna? What's her view of God? Friends, your view of God is crucial to whether you're bitter or not when life comes your way. How do you view God today? This series comes off a, a set of papers that I was given. One of my former pastors, Pastor John Stinsether, uh, was just a master of creating series. And when he died, his widow sent me all his Christmas outlines. Unfortunately, didn't send me the sermons, so I couldn't cheat, but sent me the outlines. And the reason being was, before he died, he said, you know, I want Greg to have my outlines for Christmas. And I appreciate that. But John grew up here in, many, in the Minnesota area, in, in Minneapolis. He went to the McPhail Conservatory of Music. He went to the U of M. And he grew up Lutheran. His dad was a Lutheran pastor. And he also was an oops he had four older sisters, and then a lot of years, and then him. And his dad, being a good Lutheran pastor, put him through catechism. 
And so as they were sitting there at home, and catechism simply means, for those of you who didn't grow Lutheran or, or, or Catholic, it means teaching. And so every night he would, he would do teaching with John, and he would ask John questions, and John would look up and answer. And one night John goes, well, Dad, I, I've got a question. Why aren't we Presbyterian instead of Lutheran? <laughs> and John's older sister, the one just right above him, did what most older sisters do. Johnny, it doesn't matter. Presbyterians have catechism too. You're not going to get out of the questions. And he sunk. He just goes, oh, is there any other faith we can go to? Because he just didn't want to answer. But there's a famous catechism out there called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And it has this wonderful question that all of us should ask ourselves. What is the chief and highest end of man? Why is man here? Why does man exist? Is what this means. What is the chief and highest man, end of man? Man's, whoops. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to endure Him forever. Some of my Lutheran and Presbyterian friends are going, no way. But isn't that often our worldview? I got to endure God. If I trust God, He's going to ask something of me I don't want to do. Because God's a tyrant, God's a killjoy. God doesn't, God doesn't know how to have fun. No, 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 no. The word's enjoy, isn't it? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him, to magnify Him, to exalt Him, to love Him, to look up to Him, to say to Him, You're God. And to understand that everything that comes into my life is father-loved, father-filtered. Hold it, pastor. Everything. Everything. But what if tragedy strikes? You can't get into this life without having tragedy, guys. You can't. You can't. I look across this audience, I know tragedy has struck. And it's real tempting to become bitter. We had a family in our church that lost their, their child to a drunk driver. And they, uh, the f drunk driver actually, I mean, it was very clearly just over the top. 
And they went to the, uh, the, the family, came to the pastors and said, we want you to pray for us. We have a decision to make. We're going to meet with that drunk driver. And we're being pressured to sue that drunk driver, just to sue him. And we're not going to. We think we need to be concerned about their soul. So we're going to share Jesus with them. But don't you hurt? Yes. Aren't you angry? Yes. Don't you question? Yes. But we also trust our Father. This week, one of my families, and folks, I'm sorry, if you're one of the sheep God allows me to to pastor, you get to be my family forever. You're stuck with me like a wart. You know, it's just the way it goes. One of my families let us know that their 16-year-old son died. Just went to bed, didn't wake up. Three years ago, distracted driver probably on her phone I believe was the what was the story plowed into them caused uh, ne nearly killed Merrick caused uh, horrible brain damage that he would have to deal with for the rest of his life he uh, had to learn how to walk talk eat everything and he fought back for three years um, and this week due to the complications he died it caught them unaware but this is what they wrote first of all Merrick had a goal to become a pastor, and he didn't see his injury as an obstacle. He often proclaimed openly and confidently that my life, my condition, everything that happens to me is for God's glory. God, Merrick loved God most of all, and Merrick is not lost. He is safe and sound with his Lord and Savior, whom he loved and worshipped unashamedly. Merrick wanted to be a pastor someday to help people know God's love. He would want everyone to know the way to join him. Merrick was not only just our boy, he was everyone's boy. We grieve, but not without the unshakable hope that we will join him again where he is completely healed and able to see and move perfectly, unfettered of any deficiencies. But did you catch what Merrick believed? That my life, my condition, everything that happens to me is for God's glory. It's father-filtered. It's father-filtered. That's tough. But that's Anna. 84 years 
a widow living in a small house, a small room next to the temple for 84 years going to the temple. Anna was experienced. She experienced old age, but she was gracious, not cynical. A missionary walked into a pastor's office and saw this book on the pastor's desk. He said, that's a real problem, isn't it? Now, the pastor was in his early 30s. He said, not for me. The missionary was in his 60s, and he says, just wait, my friend. Just wait. Isn't it true as we get older? We have to fight cynicism. We start seeing how things work. We start seeing the injustices in our world, and we have to fight cynicism. Someone once said a cynic is one who grows their own crabgrass. They deny the value of living. They always expect the worst to happen. Here are some of their pet phrases. It will never happen. It will never work. People will always let you down. And if it can go wrong, it will. But that's not going to be Anna this morning. Anna's experienced in life. But she's not bitter. Someone once wore a t-shirt, I am not cynical, I'm just experienced. Well, Anna is experienced, but she truly is not cynical. She has a hundred years of life. That could have made her cynical. Could have made her cynical prophetically as a prophetess, as a daughter of Fennel of the tribe of Asher. She has grown up steeped in prophecy. She has heard Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is born. And so for a hundred years she could have said, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? I keep hearing the prophecy. I don't see him. Why isn't he here yet? Domestically, she's been put down for being a widow. She's been put down for not having children. So she goes and works in the temple. And she sees the corruption in the temple. She sees what has happened to this wonderful place that was meant to worship God and has now become a commercial industry. She could have become bitter. Politically, she's in the midst of the 400 silent years and she's lived long enough to see them go from having the own kingdom of Israel and seeing Rome come in. She's seen the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Sanhedrin come up and turn everything that was, that was beautiful about the Jewish faith and corrupt it. She could have become bitter. In fact, those people I just mentioned, many of them didn't want to see a Messiah come. They are very happy running it the way they wanted to. 
But Anna believed in God's sovereignty. Anna anchored her hope in God's sovereignty. I love what Samuel Rutherford said. Believe in God's love and power more than you believe in your own feelings and experiences. Your rock is Christ. And it is not the rock that ebbs and flows, but the sea. In other words, anchor yourself on Christ and Him alone. When everything changes around you, anchor yourself in the sovereignty of God. He's the one to trust. She experienced loneliness, but was gracious, not isolated. For living 84 years by herself, she was not isolated. Notice the phrase there, the daughter of Fennel of the tribe of Asher. She had her people. She had her family. She turned to them. Notice next, someone once said, if you find yourself struggling with loneliness, you're not alone. And yet you are alone, so very alone. When we are alone, our tendency is to isolate ourselves. We tend to withdraw. We tend to say, I, I need to stay alone. But Anna doesn't. Anna, first of all, turns to her tribe. She responds also by teaching. We see her teach in the temple. That's what the word means there. It's a phrase in the Greek, in the habit of speaking, in the habit of teaching. Isn't it interesting? In the 400 silent years, there's no prophet, there's no angel, but there's a little old lady in the corner of the temple teaching the Messiah is coming. Notice her response is to worship. She worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. She's not isolated, but she's worshiping, and it's her habit, it's her way of life. And it prepared her for the Messiah. She served. When Jesus arrives, she could not be stopped. She saw the Messiah. She became his spokeswoman. Before he could speak, she spoke for him, and she was fearless. In fact, notice the rest of the verse again. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, this is the hour that Jesus is brought to the temple, the time to be, to be dedicated, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Do you see what happens? Hey, I met the Messiah. Hey, the Messiah is here. The Messiah has come. The one I've been telling you about, he's here. He's here. Here's what Anna understood. I'm lonely. But with God, I'm not alone. 
So she kept serving God. She understood God is my father, even in tragedy. He is my sovereign, even in my old age. And he is my companion in my loneliness. The result? A very wise woman. Her name means grace in Hebrew. And so if I were to pick a verse for her, this is the verse I would pick. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus left it all so that we who had nothing might become rich in grace. And that's why she was wise. I think she got it. If Anna were to have a hymn, I think Amazing Grace would be her hymn. I, I just do. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace, grace. God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore. As Pastor Paul will be preaching next Sunday, and then her own Mr. Braxton will be preaching on the 29th, we thank you for the freedom to go back to California and be with um, our family. It's been almost 20 years since we've had that freedom, so we thank you for allowing us that opportunity. So we wish you from the bottom of our hearts to yours. Uh, Merry Christmas and God's blessing upon you.